Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Bridging the Gap with Tariq Alameen. You can keep up with us on social media by following and liking our pages. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find us at BTG with T-I-E. That's BTG with T-I-E. We're also wherever you get your podcast. So take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review. And most importantly, do not forget to share uh, the podcast with your family and friends. You'll find us at that same username at BTG with T-I-E. All right, family. I hope that you all are aware that the title of this program, Bridging the Gap, it is not just something that we hope sounds good or catchy. It really is indicative of the mission and the direction of this program. That's what this platform is about. So as we move forward with this mission of bridging the gap, I am really happy to have joining us on the line today, Imam Wahiuddin Sharif. He is the resident Imam of Masjid Warathadeen in Irvington, New Jersey. He is the convener of the Council of Imams in New Jersey. And he's also a former advisor to New Jersey's former mayor and current U.S. Senator, Cory Booker. And he's also the co-host of a PBS television program, A Matter of Faith, which addresses local, national, and international issues from a faith perspective. Welcome to the program, Imam. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. So you, um, uh, Imam, the work uh, that you do, um, as I was just looking at, at some of that work, uh, it very much falls in line with this this theme, this idea of, of bridging the gap. Um, as a, the convener of uh, imams, uh, the, the interfaith work that you do. And um, I'm just appreciative to have the opportunity to have the conversation with you about some of that work. Could you kind of first start off uh, with an introduction, kind of tell the uh, audience maybe a bit more uh, about your own background and, and how that has led into the, uh, the the background of formation, the history of Masjid Bwathadine. Alhamdulillah. First, we we praise our praise Almighty God, and uh, we are very very grateful <clears throat> for the invitation, uh, Brother Imam Tariq Alamin, that you've extended to us to join you today. Um, we would like to begin as customary with giving praise and thanks to Almighty God and witnessing that he is one with our partners. <clears throat> and we witness that this one God sends messengers and prophets to humanity to give us guidance. Those messengers and prophets include Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad. May the prayers and peace be upon all of God's messengers and prophets. Amen. Let me give you a quick um, summary of a little bit of the history surrounding uh, Master Warthuddin, it actually began with the formation of an association called Waris Associates in 1984. Mm. In 1984, we formed the Waris Associates, and as a result of that, the the formation of that organization established Waris Cultural Center in Irvington, New Jersey. Actually, it it moved around quite a bit and finally settled into Irvington. And then in 2003, as a result of the growth of the, the Culture Center, we decided to uh, form an official masjid called Masjid Wadhuddin in 2003. And all of this came as a result of the interest that the Muslims had for extending the message 
of Al-Islam into the community and giving the people of the community a better explanation of what the Muslims were about Mm -hmm. and also the principles and ideals associated with Al-Islam emerging out of the leadership of Imam Waratuddin Muhammad, which really is the source of where we got the name, mm-hmm. number, the name Waris, as well as the name Mashtad Waratuddin, which means inheritor of faith. Mm. And so we considered ourselves to be those believers that were blessed to inherit the faith of Muhammad, the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa And we felt that not only were we the inheritors, but we wanted to also remind the other people of this community that they too were inheritors of this faith Mm -hmm. that hopefully would be a benefit to them if they were to examine it. And at the same time, whether they accepted it or not, we understand that the Quran is a benefit to humanity and is not just designed for the benefit of those who embrace the faith, but it's designed to benefit those who have the opportunity to glean the light that emanates from the Quran as well as the example of Muhammad the Prophet, prayers and peace be upon him, as a man that basically gives an example for the rest of humanity. So that's basically some of the history surrounding how, you know, the masjid got started, and we actually began to do work in the community in a number of different ways, including the interfaith activities that some of which you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. But again, the whole idea of forming the masjid, its vision is to establish an institution that offers those who can benefit from that institution um, the benefits of the complete code of life that al-Islam offers in terms of a pattern for human beings to work and to also extend the benefit and the goodness of themselves to other people. Mm. The The mission, of course, is to establish a social growth and development that cultivates excellence and virtue in the human character. That's that's basically our mission is to provide an educational resource that gives us an opportunity for people to see the richness of their own character and to develop their potential so that they become productive in human society. And as a result of that, the prosperity is witnessed and the promise of Almighty God is understood to be real, not just something that is imagined but it is a real promise that God gives us to establish community life. Let me so ask you this, These are the ideals. Uh, yes. Let me ask this. Uh, you mentioned the importance or the weight of the inheritance, you know, in, in yes. giving the English rendering of uh, water. What were the first steps that that you made in terms of expressing that, that shared inheritance and connecting in, in practical uh, ways with other faith communities? Probably uh, it began uh, with, of course, my entry into what is known as the Nation of Islam when I was 18 years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as you know, uh, the emergence of Imam Wadafuddin Muhammad's leadership came out of the experience of the Nation of Islam in which his father was the leader of. And as a result of his father's passing in 1975, Imam Muhammad was elected to be the leader. Um, That leadership, both from his father, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, 
may Allah forgive him and grant him paradise, as well as his son, Imam Waladuddin Muhammad, may Allah's mercy and grant him the highest of paradise. Amen. Those two leaders um, established a principle of us reaching out to our community in order for um, our community members, particularly the African-American community, community members, to realize that al-Islam um, is part of their natural inheritance, which means to say that it is Islam that basically brings forward the potential within the rational mind of human beings that gives them an opportunity to not only grow in faith, but to also grow in thought. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we did, one of the initial things that we did when we first formed the organization was to reach out to young people. Mm -hmm. And again, being a person that had the benefit of the blessing of going to school, we realized that education was one of the foremost things that we needed to encourage young people to focus on. So what we did is we established several what we considered to be career days, and we worked with, at that time, I was an engineering project manager for Nabisco, Mm-hmm. which later became uh, affiliated and connected to Kraft Foods. But what we did is we had career days, and we invited um, members of the professional community to come and talk about their various careers and how education prepared them to enter into those various professions. And so that was one of the initial steps that we made to give the people the importance of, of, of understanding how religion mm. and education work together to advance the society. Mm-hmm. And then uh, with that realization, uh, would you say it has become easier to connect to, um, as, with education as a basis to connect to uh, people of, of other faiths uh, and, and even other Muslims outside of our own association? Absolutely. We, As a matter of fact, most of the events that we sponsored, you know, we, along the lines of particularly related to education had to do with inviting people of all faiths to participate, particularly young people. So we were able to bring people into an arena mm-hmm. where they had an opportunity not only to learn from the adults, for the adults to learn from the young people mm. in terms of some of the obstacles and some of the challenges that they were facing that give that gave us an opportunity to see where we as um, adult members of the community could be greater facilitators of how to get our young people to realize their aspirations in life. And so these are the things that we were focusing on. We wanted to not only give them an opportunity to realize, you know, the, the material uh, aspirations that they had, but we also wanted to give them the spiritual and intellectual base mm-hmm. that was needed in order for them to truly be wholly successful, not just successful materially, but to be successful in their whole life. Mm. So how do you approach those things as the imam, um, as, as, a, as a leader within, uh, you know, of, of a community, but also a leader outside of the the faith tradition you know outside of the masjid a leader in in civics in society how do you approach this concept of balance 
Well, it's 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 a not e- it's not an easy task, as you know. It's, 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 not, it's not an easy task, you know. And, and, yes, and, and, and balance, you know, balancing one's life, mm-hmm. you know, is really a twenty-four hour, you know, seven days a week task that that every human being struggles with, mm-hmm. you know, to to really maintain the kind of focus that one needs in order to be a whole sound personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of those things I think that in, in, ter- in terms of my own personal life experience is to understand the importance of balance, understand the importance of prayer, mm. meaning that you have to take time in order to introspect, not only just look outside of yourself at, at outside of oneself, to see what perhaps, you know, may be driving you from the outside, mm-hmm. but you have to take the time to see what is speaking to you from the inside. And and I think th- there lies, to me, the saving grace that Allah Almighty God gives us, and that is to be able to hear the voice of our own souls. You know, and you have to you have to sometimes silence the voices that are coming from outside. Mm-hmm. In order for you to really hear what your own soul is communicating to you in regard to how to maintain, as you said, the balance in life mm-hmm. that is necessary to achieve those things that ultimately will bring you happiness. Right. And I think there, there again, you know, there's a struggle that one faces every day to to understand what does this word mean? You know, we just we just started a new year. And it's interesting how people use the term Happy New Year, mm-hmm. and, and they don't really understand sometimes or reflect upon what does that phrase actually suggest, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, they, and they realize, I think, the, the struggle is to understand, okay, what is the composition of happiness, and how do we maintain that in terms of having a balanced life? So one of those elements is to understand the importance of self-reflection. The other one is understanding how prayer gives you the opportunity to directly communicate with your creator mm-hmm. and at the same time to pour, pour out of yourself sometimes those concerns that you have with your life and hopefully listen to the voice of Almighty God that speaks back to you mm-hmm. as a result of you offering your concerns to him. Um, and then the other element of that is, is just being able to communicate with other people. I mean, the reality is that, you know, the human being is a a social creature, which means that when we need to communicate with other human beings in order for us to realize uh, sometimes the capacity that we have in order to deal with the struggles of life. And I say this to say that, you know, one of my blessings Mm -hmm. that I count in terms of maintaining the balance in my life is the fact that, you know, I was blessed to grow up in a household where I had a mother, a father, I had an older brother, I had an older sister, and I had a younger sister. Mm. So each each one of those entities in that family household created a culture that ultimately provided me with a benefit, benefit to how to interact with various issues, particularly as it related to family. And when you can see yourself operating within a family, and that gives you sometimes uh, some experience of how to operate within a society. Yes. And I think yes. they realize, I think, one of the elements that sometimes causes a lot of 
difficulty for us is because our families are so broken, which means that when we step out into the community and we step out into society, we really don't have a foundation on which to build those relationships. You're starting from scratch. Yeah, you're yeah. starting from scratch and you're starting and you're starting. And we're starting sometimes with really very little understanding of how human relationships are supposed to be formed and how, how those human relationships are supposed to uh, be appreciated. Because, again, part of understanding what happens in a family is you have to also learn to respect the other members of the family. Mm-hmm. And so when you don't come up with that kind of experience, and when you step outside into the community and step outside into society, you sometimes are, are not necessarily um, familiar with how to communicate and how to associate and how to cooperate mm-hmm. with other members of the community and society because you probably haven't really learned those beautiful things that your mother and your father and your sisters and your brothers have an opportunity to teach you sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really appreciate that. Um, that that comparison showing how well not the comparison but just this this awareness that our ability to function socially uh, it does it comes out of those 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 formative experiences and those of us who are uh, blessed to be able to have you know at, at the outset you know being introduced into coming into the world in a family environment where you've got to navigate those concerns. Um, it it makes me think about how, in a larger sense, when we talk about society and when we come together, you know, that politics uh, and leadership and or- organizing these things are are byproducts of that, right? Politics is, is really, you know, how do you reconcile all of these multiple interests uh, and, and get a, a majority of folks to buy into a particular vision, right? So um, the importance of of prayer, of, of having a, a prayerful mindset in that navigation, in that leadership, you know, it, it brings me to the, uh, your advisement to former New Jersey mayor uh, and now current U.S. Senator Cory Booker. Because um, you talk about why it's important to have advisors such as yourself and what do you feel your, your contribution was um, you know, in, in that capacity? Um, interesting, interesting question, because um, my introduction to, at that time, candidate for mayor, Cory Booker, mm-hmm. came as a result of his inquiry to his uh, campaign manager at the time to meet um, some members, leaders of the Muslim community in Newark. Mm-hmm. And so, Akal Sharif, again, may God forgive him his sins and grant him paradise. Amen. Akal Sharif was his campaign manager at the time, and, and he's, he's passed several years ago. Mm-hmm. But he um, called me and asked me, you know, would I be willing to meet with uh, Cory Booker and, and, and talk a little bit about, you know, my role within the community and some of the things that, you know, I've done uh, in my life, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result of that, uh, the conversation that actually came to my house, as a matter of fact, because I had just I had just gotten released from the hospital, had bypass surgery. Mm-hmm. And so Carl Sharif and Cory Booker visited me at my house upon release from the hospital. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting. 
Right. They really they wanted to get to, to you. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, so they came and visited me in my house, and I had just came home, and we had a really beautiful conversation. And, of course, my wife was a little concerned because the conversation kept going. Right? And so, <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, and so as a result of that, um, he then invited me, you know, after, you know, of course, I had a little time to, to kind of get my strength back. Um, he then invited me to be a part of, at that time, what he considered to be a think tank um, that was designed to uh, look at, various policies and practices and procedures that should he become elected that might be uh, implemented in his administration. So I, I became a part of that uh, group of people that were looking at um, policies. And he also, I think, was, was um, um, excited about the fact that I had, not only was I a faith leader, but I also was a leader in, in corporate America, which mm -hmm. meant that, you know, I had, I had some experience with management because again, as I mentioned, I was uh, an engineering project manager for a fortune 500 country company, mm -hmm. which meant that, that also I had an opportunity to deal with people of various backgrounds and, and, and just a, a side note, you know, uh, it's interesting to note that um, I was the first African-American degreed engineer that Nabisco, a Fortune 500 company, ever hired, ever hired in 1981. Wow. In, in 1981, they had never hired an, a degreed African-American engineer. Wow. And so, and so as a result, yeah, this is, this is important history yeah. that young people need to understand that their opportunities have not always been there. You know, it was it, it's it, and it wasn't until recently with legislation like the affirmative action legislation that was passed. The affirmative action laws that were put on the books at that time meant that companies like Nabisco and Kraft and places like that who had government contracts had to meet certain qualifications in order for them to hold on to those government contracts. Right. And so as a result of that. Nabisco was in a situation where it had to meet the affirmative action laws, and so they had to consciously go out and try and recruit African American professionals in positions that they had that for history they had no they had never actually reached out to mm -hmm. the African American community before to hire people in those positions. Mm. So it wasn't until in 1981 a friend of mine who was there at the company told me that. Uh, they were looking for African-American professionals, and maybe I should sum submit my resume. And as a result, as God would have it, mm -hmm. you know, I was able to get hired. Now, the interesting note about that is that the person who hired me, the director of engineering, when he uh, hired me, after he hired me for several months, he asked me, he said, do you realize why I hired you? And so, of course, I said, well, I guess, you know, you like what you saw on my resume and you saw that I had, you know, some experience in engineering. He said, yeah, all of that was, was in place. He said, but the real reason that stood out in my mind that convinced me that you were the right person for us to hire was the fact that I read in your resume that you were a leader in your faith community. Mm. Okay. 
I'm doing it live. Okay, so I, I have to... Okay, so let me throw this in there as well, because um, how important is it? Once again, that statement, I think it, 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 it really exemplifies uh, the importance of being able to have a full representation of, of who we right. are. I mean, quite often, and I know in the introduction, but I knew that, uh, and the hope was that some of these things would come out in, in conversation. But if someone were to have just listened to the opening introduction of who you were, then they didn't hear about your leadership in corporate America. They didn't hear about you as a project uh, manager, you know, in a, engineering. Th those are things that, that they did not hear about. Um, how important do you think it is that we are really intentional, especially, uh, especially as faith leaders, to lean into some of that, that, that world experience uh, that we have? Or, and, and if we don't have it, to be mindful of that, that we need that in terms of just being uh, balanced and, and being multidimensional. I, I think it's a, I think it's an excellent point, brother man, because the reality is when you look at the prophets of God, mm -hmm. prayers and peace be upon them, Amen. they were they were doing something before they were assigned the mission from right. God, right? Our own prophet Muhammad, prayers and peace so, be so. upon him, mm -hmm. he was a businessman. That's right. Before he was a businessman, he was a leader within the business community before. He was given the mission from Almighty God to be the messenger of God. Mm. Now, the beauty of understanding that is the fact that he was the type of businessman that was understood to be trustworthy, truthful, had integrity. So he had virtues that stood out even as a business person. And those virtues carried over into perhaps the reason why Almighty God saw the um, potential in him to carry the message. And I think this is where we as leaders need to also understand that it's, 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 it's important, yes, for us to have the spiritual knowledge, mm -hmm. but it's also important for us to have technical expertise. All right. You know, it's important for us to have rational thought. It's important for us to have the ability to um, look at situations not just from a spiritual standpoint, but also from a rational, social, technical, intellectual capacity. Mm -hmm. And I think there lies the reason why sometimes when you look at some of the history associated with prophets, they come from various backgrounds. Moses was taught by the educators in Egypt, mm -hmm. right? And so these, these things were part of his background. He, was, he, he had the opportunity to learn something before he became a prophet of God. Uh, the, the prophet Idris was known to be a tailor right before he became a prophet of God. Hmm. Right? All of these are elements that are associated with how people uh, and how God, when he views sometimes the leadership that emerges within human society, that if you are a person of integrity, if you're a person that has perhaps uh, focused on developing certain human abilities, then you are given an additional gift from Almighty God that is comprised of revelation. Mm. So when you have an education, then Allah gives you another blessing of revelation, which I mm. think is really important <laughs> for us. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. 
Um, let me ask, I want to shift, shift gears a bit um, okay. because in that, you know, in, in what you were saying about um, uh, the individual that hired you, you know, pointing to your uh, leadership within your faith community, when I look at so, sometimes the way we engage faith, you know, across the faith traditions, uh, the language, the scripture, uh, the identifying markers of our particular um, belief, you know, system and, and the language that's a part of that. We sometimes, you know, lean into those things uh, to such a point where we're not able to step outside or we're not able to find the connections. How is your interfaith work to reflect an awareness of the commonalities that, it, that, that exist between uh, the, the various faith traditions? And I'm speaking specifically for those who may not, if you don't remember from the very beginning, we're talking about the program, A Matter of Faith, that you, uh, that you co-host. Well, I, I think first let me, let me say this, that I thank God for Imam Waratuddin Muhammad because if it was not for him, <clears throat> the focus on uh, interfaith relationships mm -hmm. that is pretty popular today, right? Yeah. You know, and because of perhaps some negative aspects associated with September the 11th and things like that, right. you know, I, I think that people began to realize that, you know, you, you have to have relationships with people, again, as, as this program is, you know, bridging the gap and, and you know, building bridges. And, and, and I think it was Imam Wadafidin Muhammad, in, after he became the leader in 1975, mm -hmm. One of the earlier things that I remember him encouraging his followers to do was to go out and establish relationships and as well as associations uh, with other people of faith. Mm -hmm. And the wisdom of that, right, was that it enabled people to see our humanity. And I think there lies the universal connection that the man was trying to establish. In other words, let's not start with the identification of, of my race. Let's not start with the identification of my faith tradition. Let's start with the premise that we all are human. Let's start with that foundation first. Mm -hmm. And when we can start, when we can start from that base, then that gives us an opportunity to hear each other out and perhaps listen to all the other um, differences that we, may, that we may have. And at the same time, in listening to those differences, we have an opportunity to hear some commonality, commonalities as well. Hmm. So let me, because I, I tell people all the time about, you know, this interfaith work that we're engaged in today. Um, <clears throat> in, uh, when, I, when I became a Muslim in 1969, mm -hmm. Right, when I embraced Islam in 1969, you know, it is interesting to note that my first, my first interfaith dialogue was with my mother and my father. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that right? sounds familiar. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Okay. So, so this, this whole interfaith, see, people think that it's new. No, it's, it's not new for some of us. That's right. Right, because for, for some of us, Right. <clears throat> I loved my parents and I wanted to I wanted to share with them, you know, what my thoughts were, what, what my vision was and where I thought I was headed. Mm 
and I thought that they needed to know, and I thought they deserved to know. Right. So when I was a senior in high school in 1969, and I had, you know, heard about Islam again as taught through the Nation of Islam, and I had read a few books, including the autobiography of Malcolm X, right, and a few other things, <clears throat> and I had had the opportunity to talk with and visit uh, the temple at the time. I came home, and my sister had already, my sister and I, we had already had a meeting. And so it was my sister, my older sister, and my younger sister. We kind of had a family meeting, and we talked about, you know, the possibility of us becoming part of the temple. Mm -hmm. Well, I took that conversation, and I went to my mother and my father. <clears throat> and, um, and I told them that, you know, that I was thinking about, you know, becoming a Muslim. That was an interfaith dialogue that I had because, again, for the for your listening audience, you know, I was the son of um, two Baptists, two Baptists from Virginia. All right, so you know, I so that is considered to be the Bible Belt, I believe. Yeah. So I, I had now my conversation with my father was was not that long. It was, you know, he was reading the newspaper at the time when I approached him. And uh, I, and he was reading the newspaper as I spoke to him. I said, Dad, I think I'm about ready to uh, become a Muslim and, and uh, embrace Islam. Mm -hmm. So he put his paper down. He put his paper down and looked at me. He said, well, if you're going to be one, be a good one. Mm. And then he picked his paper back up and started reading the paper again. That's, that's, that was his, <laughs> that, I love that. That was his conversation to me. So, uh, so he, that was a pretty simple, easy conversation. But I have to say that the conversation with my mother was not that simple. It wasn't. It wasn't that easy, and it wasn't that short. Yeah. So she had a lot of questions, of course, concerns about, you know, whether I had given proper thought to it, and, you know, she wanted to know a little bit more about what it is that. You know, I was embracing, and she knew that I had I had been asking certain questions about religion, right? And so she kind of had an idea that I was leaning toward, you know, trying to understand religion more. But I don't think she understood that my inquiry into religion was going to take me toward Islam. And I think she was she was kind of like thinking that I would be more involved with the church activity. Mm -hmm. But you know, much to her surprise, that. Um, but I think, again, much to her pleasure, mm -hmm. when she found out about the type of life that I was living as a Muslim, I think she became very happy because those principles that she was trying to teach me in Christianity, mm -hmm. she saw that I was living in Islam. Yes. Yes. What should, I think, make the regular citizen... Stop and think for a moment as a nation that associates itself with law and order, associates itself with the divine uh, right and protection of the individual you know, human person. And the fact that we have still on our currency and God we trust, uh, we would think yeah. that there should be a visible manifestation of human beings that exemplify an appreciation and a connection to God, right? Because I mean, cause this is one of the the constitutional benefits and, and protections that we have. You know, faith is is right at the top. You know that Absolutely. it's not going to be infringed I mean, upon. You know, 
yeah, the preamble to the Constitution, mm-hmm. right? Uh, as it is as as it is read today, you know, behold to be these truths that are self evident that all men are create are endowed mm-hmm. by their creator, yep. right, with certain, certain inalienable rights. rights. Again, right. you know, when when Imam Muhammad explained, you know, what that statement really means, you know, it, it is to again remind every citizen within the United States that your your rights and your inheritance in terms of being a human being and first of all a citizen of God's creation right mm-hmm. those rights and those duties are given to you by God right they're not given to you they're not given to you by a government they're not given to you by a leader within any particular um society or community they're not given to you by any human being or any entity or organization. They're given to you by God, the creator. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, when we understand what that is saying, that is saying that those entities that are made by man, whether they be government, whether they be corporate corporations, whether they be organizations, or whether they be any kind of hierarchy associated with authority, those, those positions are not to entrench, they're not supposed to inflict upon, they're not to trespass on those rights that Almighty God has given you. Mm-hmm. And when they do so, then you have, the, you have the duty and you have the obligation to resist them because they're, they are treading on areas that don't belong to them. They belong to God himself. Mm-hmm. And as, they're, as, they're, as they've been identified as what? Life. Liberty, liberty in the happens. pursuit of happiness. That's right. Right. <laughs> right. That's so, right. So these these when we understand what those principles are suggesting to us, then we understand that we really should not be looking for them from these other entities. We should be looking for them first from God, and secondly, we should be looking for them to emerge from our own souls. Hmm. Hmm. I mean. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Imam Wahyuddin, um, it has been uh, an absolute pleasure talking to you. And if it were not for time, um, I would say let's <laughs> let's go another hour. <laughs> but I'm hoping, seriously, uh, hoping to have you back on because I would love to continue the conversation and get more in depth, especially and, and hopefully to talk with some of your colleagues uh, with regard to the uh, Matter of Faith program, because I would I would really appreciate that, brother man, and I, and I hope when we pray we have an opportunity to to bring um, Bishop Beckwith, mm-hmm. who is who is a former bishop of the Episcopal Diocese here in Newark, the Church and of the the Church of of the actually one of the first churches that were established in the United States of America, mm-hmm. and, and it's the Protestant Church, but he is he's part of this um, uh, association of interfaith leaders that I'm a part of. And also uh, Rabbi Matthew Gould, who is uh, a rabbi of one of the largest, and might say also wealthiest mm-hmm. Jewish communities here in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So um, I would I would love to have an opportunity for them to uh, join me with you uh, as our host for a discussion, and uh, hopefully we will hear from them and engage again in in this great discussion that we've had 
and I look forward to speaking with you sometime in the near future, inshallah. Inshallah. With God's permission, uh, we're going to continue to bridge the gap. Uh, that's not just the name of a program. It's the mission, uh, I believe, of our lives, however we represent that. But that is the mission. So thank you so much. As always, family, we appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to inbox us. Remember, you can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at BTG with TIE. If you have a comment or there's an email you want to send, you can do so at info at webridgethegap.org. That's info at webridgethegap.org. All right, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.